Welcome to the 33rd episode of the No Degree Podcast. This is your host, Janai Iqbal, and today's guest is Jermaine Moore. Jermaine Moore has a background in recruiting. He has been a contract recruiter for many companies. He leveraged his background in recruiting to break into the training and development space. He has started his own company called the Mars Hills Group, where he partners with companies to increase employee engagement, retention, and diversity, equity, and inclusion effectiveness. His motto is, learn more, do better. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show isn't possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hey, Jermaine, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Jermaine Moore. I own a company called the Mars Hill Group. We are a training development consulting firm focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion work and training, team development, leadership, coaching, and development, communication training, you name it. So I partner with organizations, customize training for them to help them reach their goals. Let's kind of take it back to high school. Did you ever imagine yourself doing something like this? No, <laughs> no, no. But at, now that I'm doing it, I can't imagine doing anything else. High school is very interesting. So like a lot of people, I grew up in a, a single parent household with a mother that worked two jobs and education was very important. So I graduated high school. I knew I wanted to go to college, but really I had very little guidance on what, where to go and, and what to do. So as a 70 year old new graduate, I had to try to figure some of these things out for myself. And it's so interesting. Nowadays, the internet is so prevalent with all the information that we have at our fingertips. But back then, with my limited perspective, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life because I had very little exposure to what was out there. And I remember picking a major and I think I picked business, right? Because that's that's what you did. And in my neighborhood, the only kind of good jobs that I ever saw were people working in business in some capacity, right? So you worked at a bank or you worked somewhere like that. And um, I figured I'll just do business. Of course, totally whole world that I had no idea existed out there. And I wish I would have known. I wish I would have took some time to say, okay, what are you very good at? What do you love to do? What are your, where are your strengths? And what fits that instead of me trying to fit something that was already out there. So I took a backwards approach. And as you would imagine, it just didn't work out very well, right? That didn't work. It didn't really fit me. So it took a little trial and error for me to to kind of put my foot out there to try some things and finally start the transition into uh, talent acquisition. All I needed really was a foot in the door. And even then, it wasn't anything that I said, oh, my dream is to be a recruiter or be a, a talent acquisition professional. But it seemed like a great career. And at that point, I was looking for a career, not a job. With very little guidance, got my feet wet and been all in. And during my time, during the the exposure uh, that I got, I realized that I have strengths. I have things to add. And I was very fortunate enough to have people in my life that were interested in pouring into me and and helped me get to where I am uh, today. So you mentioned that you did go to college. You didn't? I, no, no, no. I did, but I didn't yeah. last very long. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I went, why was that? Oh, I had no idea what I was doing. I was unprepared. I was probably a little bit immature. And when you're going to college just for the sake of going to college, that's not quite enough, I think, to get you out of bed in the morning and, and you know, attend those classes. So college was a a flop for me. Uh, Not that I couldn't do the work, but I was demotivated to do the work. And when I and so I found myself with a a year's worth of college, year and a half's worth of college, and not really sure quite what to do with my life. And it was a bit of a turning point, right? So the generation that I grew up in, it was like, well, you'll never find work, you'll never find a career without a college degree. It was this a decision I had to make, right? So am I going to try this again, or am I going to hustle and figure out where I fit in this life? Um, and I decided to to do option number two, and it happened to work out for me. So some college, and but I uh, didn't last very long. Yeah. So you were demotivated. You're like, hey, this is not working out. What'd you do next? What was the next step? The next step was just trying to figure out how I was going to pay my bills, right? So at this point, um, 
19 years old and needed to, you know, like every young adult, you wanted to get from under your parents' wings and go out there and try some things on your own. So I worked at, uh, oh man, I did a couple of different things. I, I think I sold cars for a little while, realizing sales wasn't quite my area of expertise. Um, and then I, I worked at a lumber yard for a while. There was a point in time where I, I was thinking about being, becoming a, an electrician. And it really was just really trying to figure out what is going to work for me. And initially the goal, the, the, my motivation was just survival. I, and I, I would tell you now, if I had to do it again, I would have taken some time and said, all right, again, like, where are my strengths? What fits me? And I'm going to go after that passionately. But at that point, it was just, I got to pay rent. I worked in the lumber yard, made this decision. I met my current wife. She lived in Boston at the time. And I made this decision to move to Boston. So I was living in Philadelphia with a couple of my friends. Uh, we were having a great time, but decided that it was it was it was time to to make this leap and move to Boston. So I did. And I moved there with pretty much zero prospects. And I guess that's what you do when you're young and, and bold and figured you're going to figure it out. Like I had no job lined up. I had a place to stay. And I said, I'm going to figure it out. So I got there and really a friend of a friend opened this door for me to get into recruiting. And at that point, I had no idea what recruiting was, what talent acquisition was. I didn't even know that there was this job to help other people find jobs. For me, it was a, it was a learning experience and it was like a head head first plunge into this new world. And it was a blessing because not only did I have what I consider a career and I recognized that early on. This was the first role that I had that I said, oh, I can do this over a long period of time. There is room for me here and I can leverage who I am to make something of this opportunity. And I didn't have that anyplace else. I didn't have that as a for me as a as a car salesman. There was no feature in that working in the lumberyard. I didn't see any feature in that either. But this was the first role that for me was a blessing because I'm like, I, I there's a future here. And if I can grind this out, if I can make this work, uh, there is a future here. So fortunate enough to have uh, somebody give me that shot. And, and that's where my recruiting career uh, took off. But the blessing of that in recruiting, you get exposure to many different roles, many different positions, because those are positions you're trying to fill. Many different industries, just ways of that businesses uh, recruit and hire and the positions that they're trying to fill. So it was a bit of an education for me to see exactly what was out there. So starting in uh, town acquisition uh, in Boston and really parlayed that first opportunity to make something of a career. And I will tell you that I wish I can say that it was all me. I don't know necessarily wish I can say, it, but the reality is I needed a break. Like I needed somebody to see something in me and say, I'm gonna give this kid a shot because without that, I wouldn't have made it there to begin with. And then it was up to me to say, all right, what am I going to make of this? At the time, I thought it was just an awesome opportunity to have a career. But it took somebody seeing something in me saying, I'm going to give this guy a chance to make something of himself. So you got this opportunity. Now, how was it? And how'd you know, compared to previous jobs, that this had the future? Yeah, it was my first, I want to say my first professional career. Like I, and I was working around people who were in a position that I aspired to be, not necessarily in their role, but in their life. I was working around people who were mature, had families, who had homes, who, who lived this life, particularly for me coming from a, a single parent household, who lived a life that I aspired to achieve, right? At the time. Now, of course, my, my horizons have broadened beyond that, but at the time, I looked around and I said, I can do what they do. There's nothing inherently different about who they are than who I am. And if they can do it, I can do it. So for me, it was kind of the light bulb went off. And that was the first role that I had where I can look around and say, all right, I'm actually inspired by uh, some of these people. We may have, we may not have everything in common, but I can look at them and say, I can get there. And they got there through this opportunity, then I can get there through this opportunity as well. So that was maybe for me, 
the difference. It was a bit of stability, is a bit a bit of being around people who were doing it and realizing, hey, I I can do this too. Okay, that's cool. And now you kind of saw the future. I can imagine that now you're really motivated compared to before. Yeah, it, it was motivating, but it was still a learning process. I tripped and fall. I fell so many times and um, made some mistakes. All this, this was a new world for me. I had to figure, I still had to figure a lot of this on my own and scrape my knees along the way. But just thankfully, and really by the grace of God, I was able to continue to build my career. So I was motivated. But what I lacked was the the how, right? I knew why, but my how I had to figure out how was how was I going to get to where I wanted to be. But the motivation, the motivation was there. I realized what I had, and and I, I had to tough it out and fig, figure out a way to get it done. Yeah. So now you had the job. How was it the first few months? It was a culture shock. It was so different. It was something that I had to get used to. I think what helped me is that I tend to have a fairly easy time uh, developing relationships and building rapport. So for me, for instance, what a degree I think gives a lot of people is just this bit of credibility, right? And then after that, it's on you. Degree can only take you so far. And then it's up to you, your skills to make something out of whatever opportunity that comes your way. So once I had my foot in the door, which is only thing from my perspective, some degrees allow you to get your foot in the door. Once I had that opportunity, I had to figure it out. So initially it was, it was very different. It was a world that I was not used to and I had to figure out and adjust along the way and how to do it while I can still maintain me and who I am and not fake my way through it, but be Jermaine Moore through and through and make this work. The ability to build some relationships, the ability to Leverage those relationships along the way was was a big help for me. So obviously you had the adjusting period. When did you feel a lot more comfortable being a recruiter or working in recruiting? It took a little while and and it may have taken me longer than it should have. I think one of the things that we probably all struggle with sometimes is this imposter syndrome, right? Where you're objectively probably pretty good at it, but you just don't feel confident and secure in your own self and your own in your own abilities. So I think I struggled with that for a while. And I, I haven't quite put my finger on why I struggled with that for a while. But it took a while for me to really get comfortable saying, no, 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 you have this. Like I can look around and be objective and say, I'm just as smart. I'm, I'm just as good as the the folks that I work with on my team. And that was important for that to click for me because that's when I kind of took the career in my own hands instead of just being just so thankful that I have a career, right? So sometimes you just, I just want to, I'm just thankful that I'm here, but that won't get you very far. Like there's a point where you just got to own it and say, no, 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 I'm good at this. I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to use my power, my influence to make something out of this. And then you just got to go get it. It took a little while, Jonah, for me to really be comfortable in my own skills and my own ability. Did you become a lot better once you became comfortable or you were already good? And then this just made you realize like, I'm good. I should be comfortable. I became a lot better. I think once you have that level of comfort and you can relax, right? When your mind is not battling these thoughts that come in, all that energy is can now be focused on doing a good job and, and honing your expertise and your skills. So I think it's very important for anybody, no matter what you do, to push those thoughts aside and say, I am valuable. I have something to add here. And I'm going to, I may not be perfect, right? We all have um, areas of growth and we would be dead if we weren't growing. So there's still things for me to learn, but I, I got this and I'm going to put all my efforts into to building it and not worrying about if it's going to go away. That was the difference for me. So I got better when I took a step back and said, all right, I can own this. And um, it allowed me to take a bit more control of my career. So instead of being just thankful that I have a job, right, a career, I can say, all right, this is where I want to go. And I'm going to take some very intentional efforts to get there. And any company would be lucky to have me. I know it sounds a bit arrogant, but but that's almost the attitude you have to have to feel like, no, I deserve whatever it is that I work hard to achieve. What? makes a good recruiter like what advice would you have for someone who wants to sort of get into this field or is currently a recruiter and it's like these are the things that really help me 
Recruiting is, is interesting. I think there are certain foundational skills for any strong recruiter. And it's a skill that we, that'll help us in any endeavor. And that is the skill of listening. Recruitment is really about listening and understanding and connecting the dots. I think what made me a pretty good recruiter, I was a pretty good assessor of talent. I can kind of parse through skill and talent. And I, the only way I can do that is to listen, is to ask the right questions and listen. And you start doing that, you tend to be able to pick out talent pretty well. When it comes to just those foundational skills of recruitment, that is a skill that I think every strong recruiter should have. Because the way I chose to add value to the organizations that I work with was to be able to offer them some insight that they wouldn't have, they didn't pick up on their own. It was less than, hey, I'm looking at a resume and I'm passing along a resume. It was more, I'm assessing this candidate for you and I can make uh, an informed uh, recommendation of whether or not you should hire this person over this person. No matter what career you have, the idea is how am I creating value, right? How am I being valuable for those that I work with and work for? So that skill helped me tremendously and actually helps me in my current role um, in doing training and development because I need to figure out what the needs are. And that I do that by asking questions and, and listening. And um, I think a wise person, they do more listening than talking. I think it's a, that's a skill that we, we can all use. So I think that's an important skill. And to really take your recruitment or talent acquisition skills to the next level, it really in order to add value, the most value is when you really start to partner with your people with with the people that you're working for and you are focusing on how do they build their teams. And that really was my introduction to training and development and doing this type of work. So instead of just taking an order from a manager saying, hey, can you help me fill this position? I'm working side by side with them, figuring out what type of position they need to fill, what type of skills would work well for their teams and, and the needs that, and the challenges that they have at this point. So I went from uh, talent acquisition and recruiting can be fairly administrative. All right, I get a need, I post it, and I wait for resumes, I skim through some resumes and I send them off, but that's very low value. Anyone can do that work, anyone can do that work. But where I felt I had to set myself apart is had to, how to, I had to figure out how to be a strategic partner uh, with uh, folks that I supported and not just an order taker. Then we started getting into not only talent assessment, but uh, performance management, um, working with them as they're working with their teams and the people that are reporting to them. I have a, a early heads up on um, problem um, employees and, and what's the plan to address this. Then we start talking about um, organizational development and shape. So for me, the, even the talent acquisition was a foot in the door to do more impactful work. And no matter where we are, that's our role, right? That's our job, to be hard to replace, right? So there are people that are just hard to replace. You add so much value that a company can't imagine what they would do without you. And you can do that with or without a degree. And I'll take someone without a degree who adds a lot of value than somebody with a degree that's adding very little. Right? I can replace the person with the degree. I cannot place the person uh, without that degree. So that's where, for me, that was an opportunity for me to take my career uh, to, to the next level. You worked in different areas of recruiting. What ends up being the same and what ends up being a little different among the different areas? What ends up being the same is really assessing talent, right? So what's different is the type of experience they bring to the table. So um, I'm looking for something different in the engineer than I am for someone who is in marketing or someone who's in finance. And that's really the, the hard technical skills may vary from one person to another. So anytime you're filling a role, you're getting what are the hard technical skills? And those are easy to access, right? Do you have experience here? Tell me a little bit about your experience here. What is a bit harder to assess is the softer skills. And that doesn't change, right? You know, are they motivated? Will they be a fit? How do they respond under stress? Can they work in this fast-paced environment? Those are the type of things that I think that our recruiting comes in because anybody can match up. I need five years experience in this software. They have five years experience. Oh, that's a match, right? I need this amount of experience in this area. They have this. Oh, that's a match. That is the easiest part 
of recruiting, the art of recruiting, the fun part of recruiting is when you can dig past that and look under, look at their softer skills and assess whether or not they're going to succeed uh, here in this organization. No, I mean, thank you for that. What's the difference between being like a contract recruiter and more like an in-house recruiter? Contract recruiters typically are brought aboard for a certain period of time, right? So you're it's not quite a consultant, but you're an independent contractor. So although you're not a full-time employee of that organization, they have a hiring need, right? They know that they're going to hire, they need to hire a certain amount of people with these certain amount of skills in a short period of time. So they may bring on contract recruiters because they know that this is a, a short-term need for this additional recruitment help. The last thing they want to do is expand their recruiting team and then have to lay people off. So what they do instead is bring aboard contractors. Now, there's a benefit to contracting, particularly if you like contracting. The money in contracting is much better because you get paid by the hour and you get paid a premium because you are a contract recruiter. There's less stability. When you move in-house and work for a company directly, the benefits, the stability means your pay is, is a lot less. So because I'm not guaranteed work as a contract recruiter, I can charge more per hour. And that works for a lot of people, particularly if you are, say, you have a partner who carries your benefits, somebody else in your household that has the stability of just that constant check every week. You can really say my whole career is going to be as a contract recruiter. But then for some, they just don't. And and there's also benefits of if you like being exposed to different environments, like you like going into one company, being there for three months, six months, a year, and then going to another company, if that excites you, you like to be exposed to these different cultures, then contract recruiting is, is fantastic. But there are some that's like, that's not their style. They want to be someplace that they can call a home. Although I'm really, realistically, it's just as easy <laughs> to let a full-time permanent em employee lay them off as it is to uh, disengage with a contractor. So I think over time, you're finding that that stability, no matter what industry you work in, is not quite there. It's cracked up to be um, because companies are, are quick to to furlough or lay off or make adjustments if, if it's in the best interest of the company. So that's why contract recruiting is a little bit different and it's usually more project-based and, and why it's attractive to some. You did all this recruiting. You obviously did a lot of things right. What were some things that you sort of messed up on? What are some mistakes you made and what'd you learn from them? I would say initially uh, recruiting is it's a very interesting uh, for me. So I do training and development now, which which fits me. For a long time, recruiting was a struggle for me because I'm a natural introvert. I had to learn how to put myself out there, how to talk to people. If it was up to me, I would be here in my office banging away some work and I would be 100% fine with that. Recruiting forced me to get out of my comfort zone and learn new skills and learn how to talk to people, learn how to make conversation, learn how to dig. And so for me, it was a bit of a learning curve. It was a bit of a, because it was it was really going against my natural self. You know, some of the natural skills of recruiting went against who I was just naturally. So what may have come easy for others, I had to work really hard at it. Now, I wouldn't change a thing. If it wasn't for putting myself out there and being very, very uncomfortable in the beginning, I wouldn't have learned and I wouldn't have grown and I wouldn't have got better. Now I would talk to anybody about anything. I mean, if it wasn't for recruiting, there's no way I would even do this call, right? This podcast would give like, this is no way I would do this because I got myself out of my comfort zone and allowed myself to experience some new things. It helped me professionally and personally, and I wouldn't trade it, but it was a learning curve, which means I stumbled along the way. I made some mistakes, but as I look back, they were all just great lessons for me to learn um, along the way. Eventually, you moved into talent acquisition. So what's the difference between recruiting and talent acquisition? I know there's some overlap, but what's the difference? Talent acquisition is what you'll see more often now than recruiting. When I started back in the 90s, it was recruiting. So you were a recruiter. Um, now you see, if you see a job posting, it is talent acquisition. And particularly if you are in-house. So there's agency recruiting. So there are recruiters or talent acquisition specialists that work on with an agency. So they're that, 
that temp agency or that staffing agency that a company will call and say, we need help or we need to find this permanent position and we need your help to help us find it. That's a certain kind of recruiting work, agency recruiting work. And that's much easier to get your foot in the door, by the way, um, because right there, they're looking for people that are hungry because it feels a bit more like sales, right? You got to go find candidates. You got to find these clients that are that's going to want to work with this organization. And there they're looking for passion over anything else. Like, can you do this work? Are you hungry to do this work? And that's where I got my start. I got my start in agency, agency work. And when I started, it was, it was called recruitment. Moving in-house, now you're a part, typically you're a part of the HR team. And the HR team could be, have a total a town acquisition team underneath the HR team, or you work alongside the HR business partners, you know, reporting to the director or the VP of HR within an organization. So now you're just focused on attracting and bringing people into that one company, not many different clients that you work with. I guess the bottom line is when you, if you were to go online and do a search, recruiting is something that you won't see very often. You'll see talent acquisition more so than not. Uh, recruiting is a term that's probably being phased out. You also taught at a university. Can you talk about that? About six years ago, I started to really embrace training and development. And I was so fortunate to have a mentor and a coach that recognized something in me and through conversations realized that I had more to offer, uh, more value to offer than just talent acquisition. So I made this transition into training and development. My mentor was doing this work for about 30 years and really through conversations with her, realizing that, hey, I can do this. And this this really fits me to a T. So about six years ago, I made this transition into doing training and development work. Initially, it was some off-the-shelf stuff, right? This is, this is a training that I can offer. It eventually evolved and morphed into customizing and develop, designing and develop my own training to meet needs of certain businesses. It's been fantastic. I think from that point, and it's almost embarrassing to say, you know, you find this out when you're 40 years old, right? But better late than never that finally my passion, my strengths all merged, right? And, and it felt, it felt right in so many different ways. It felt like this is exactly what I need to be doing. And not only that, but I think the, the, the things that tend to work best for us in our careers are the things, if we can somehow leverage those things that we're kind of naturally good at anyway. And this is one of those opportunities where I was naturally good at that. So my career started to shift and I had uh, worked for a company that recognized these skills that I had. I worked for a CEO that poured in to my desire to do more of this work. And just a credit to them, they let me do it. With guidance along the way, I started to really dig in and dive into training and development. My talent acquisition work started to go away. Uh, they hired other people to do that type of work. And I focused exclusively on designing, delivering, developing, delivering uh, training content. Along with that came uh, team development, uh, coaching, executive coaching. Um, so working with senior leaders within organizations. Uh, so all of that came with it. And for me, it was like this whole new world that opened up. And I have uh, had a relationship with one of the um, program directors at University of New Hampshire. So they are our big uh, state university here in Durham, New Hampshire, not very far from where I live. And they have a professional development program. They had a need. They wanted to offer diversity and inclusion training. I've uh, been partnering with them over the last uh, couple of years, and it's been fantastic. So it's, it's this adjunct facilitator role that I have. We schedule these uh, sessions throughout the year. So whether it's... Uh, introduction to diversity inclusion or building a, a diversity inclusive culture to uh, multicultural coaching to strategic workforce planning, all of these things that I, I really enjoy doing. That partnership has been great because not only is it great for me to continue to hone these skills and provide this value to folks, but there's also a benefit being a, a business owner that these are 20, 30 people that are being exposed to the work that I do. And ideally, they're going back to their companies and they're saying, hey, I was in this awesome training. We need to have this guy come and do some work for us. So it's a win-win-win for everyone. UNH, I think, uh, can uh, have a robust professional development offering. I get to the, I, the folks that come, 
learn something, you know, over whether it's a four hour or six hour session, I get uh, that added exposure to show the value that I can create, uh, not only in that classroom, but as they take it back to their organizations. Let's take it back to recruiting. What's the typical salary ranges for a recruiter? Like, what's the ranges that, you know, starting out mid-level and then moving up? So you'll find different companies look at recruiting differently, right? So let's start with uh, in-house recruiter. So for some companies, recruiting is your foot in the door to HR. So right out of college or right your or you're starting your career in HR, um, recruiting tends to be a role that uh, may be available to you. In that case, it's an entry level position. So you can expect uh, somewhere around 40 to $50,000, right? This is just kind of coming in or 35 to $50,000 coming in. As you continue to grow your career, those numbers obviously would go up. Um, so whether you want to continue to be an individual contributor or you want to be a talent acquisition manager or director of talent acquisition, of course, there's, there are opportunities to continue to grow. And of course, you're talking about director VP level. They make significant money up, you know, $200,000 a year for that type of role, depending on, um, you know, the company and industry that you work in. A very strong, experienced recruiter. I know the industry has changed a little bit, but experienced recruiter making anywhere from you know eighty to to one twenty a year, and uh, contract recruiters can make anywhere from seventy five to one hundred twenty five dollars an hour, which obviously translates into one hundred fifty to two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, uh, depending on you know how often you're working throughout that year. So. It really depends. Like most like career ladders, you know, when you start out, it, it's a little bit low and then you can um, show your value value, and it continue to, to, to earn more money along the way. How has the industry changed over the years? Right. Because you started in the 90s and, you know, the names are changing. The branding is changing. What else has sort of changed? I think what's changed is a lot of companies are developing in-house uh, talent acquisition skills. And it's, it becomes a part of the HR function. Um, so I think that that's a big change. Like it's not uncommon now to have for companies to have dedicated talent acquisition specialists or an HR who has talent acquisition or recruiting responsibilities. I think in the past it was, it fell to the HR group, but, and they kind of shared this responsibility of recruiting, but now they have dedicated resources in house to, to focus specifically on recruiting. Which I think is it's a is a step in in the positive direction. Which means if you are in talent acquisition, there are a lot of opportunities uh, for you to go in house. Um, there's there there's a lot of need out there. Of course, when you have an economy right now that may be struggling, hiring is kind of maybe taking a step back. Uh, these may be lean times for for those uh, types of roles, but typically they're out there to be had. Okay, so. Just in your industries, what are some do's and don'ts that you sort of learned along the way? Like, what are things that people should do, right? You mentioned the listening. You mentioned that you got to get a little out of your comfort zone because regardless, you have to talk to a lot of people. What else would you kind of say are the do's and don'ts? For, um, for like, Just, like my, my like consulting company, like training. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's go into the consulting. Man, I'm still learning, right? And I love that I'm still learning. If you were to... Uh, to ask me my strengths, like, what do you tell me who, what you're about? Uh, one of my number one strengths would be, uh, if not my number one, is that I'm a learner. So I love being exposed to new things and I love to learn new stuff. And I would say that has served me well. So a do is to never stop learning. Uh, realize that there's never a point where you said, all right, I've made it. I know enough and there's nothing else for me to learn. Um, so I'm constantly outside of my comfort zone. I mentioned back when I first started recruiting that it was uncomfortable for a while. But even now, I'm always a little bit uncomfortable. But I embrace that discomfort knowing that I can't grow if I'm not being stretched outside of my comfort zone. I would say to do is to continue to learn. Do continue to put yourself in situations that's a bit uncomfortable where you feel a little bit stretched. Do uh, start to develop this confidence in yourself and your own skills and abilities. Doesn't mean arrogance. It doesn't mean, again, going in like you know it all. 
It means having humility, knowing what you don't know, knowing that there's still a lot to learn, but knowing that you can have, you can add value even today, even now. That's something uh, to do. Don't limit yourself. I almost challenge anybody, look at yourself 10 years ago, and, and I can do that because I'm older, but if you're a little bit younger, even five years ago, and you were to say, could I imagine my life today the way it is? Most of us said, there's no way. I'm in a, I'm in a position where I just don't, I couldn't imagine 10 years ago, I'd be where I am. So don't be so stuck on a very rigid path of your career because it hardly ever works out that way. But be open to being nimble and flexible, recognizing opportunities as they come and knowing when to take advantage because you may find that you think here's where you wanna be, but it could be here as you learn more and more about yourself, more and more about what's out there. And then you kind of let your career evolve in that way. So I would say, don't limit yourself thinking, oh, it has to be here and I have to do this for a certain amount of time before I move here. And then I have to be in this position by this age. That's a myth. I think um, you take things as they come, you use your initiative when it's time and you get to where you're trying to be, understanding that what's best for you, you may not even know uh, right now. Because I would tell you 10 years ago, if you were to say, Jermaine, in 10 years, you're going to have your own company. It's going to be called the Marshall Group. This is the type of work you're going to do. There would be no way I could have figured that out and even said, all right, how in the world is that going to happen? But what happened was I took advantage of those opportunities that were presented to me. And then I put some intention behind it. I don't know if that answers your question, but there's a few do's and don'ts that uh, really, really helped me out. And I would say, that learning, that experience is more valuable than any degree. My son, who is a junior in, in college, and he's pursuing a degree in HR. And the what he's studying is exactly what I do, training and development, leadership development, organization development. But I will tell you that when he graduates, my dream is for him to come work with me and we build this awesome company together. But I tell you what, when he graduates, he will be of no use for me. He has no experience, no nothing that he can pull from when he walks into a new client and they say, well, what can you offer us? Him saying, well, I took some classes. This is not going to be enough, right? So we all have these life experiences that we need to leverage. And I will tell you that no matter what happened 20 years ago or 25, 30 years ago, my goodness, Jonan, I'm getting old. <laughs> no matter what happened when I could have graduated from college, it's a fading shadow of any type of value it would offer me now because it means nothing. It means nothing right now. And I don't know if that helps, but but credibility is key. And I think that you get that through experience and you can do that with or without a degree. Yeah. You made the leap to training and development. What sort of was going through your mind? Like when did you realize, hey, recruiting, I sort of want to move away from, I want to move more into training and development. For me, it was realizing what was a, a natural fit for me, um, realizing that this was work that I can just lose myself in. I was excited about it. It got me out of bed. When I thought about the next training session, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And for me, it was like, and talent acquisition didn't quite have that same pull for me. This served me well. And I'm thankful and blessed that I had a career in talent acquisition. And for some, it is their passion. Like they absolutely love talent acquisition. And that is more power to you because we all should love what we do. But for me, when I started getting exposed to training development, realized the impact that I could have within an organization, focus on culture within a company and realized that when people leave the sessions that I tend to, to facilitate, they're, they're on a high, they feel pretty good. And we both are on a high and feel pretty good. And that is something that a feeling that I wanted to, to keep having. So for me, it was just really starting to understand what I was really, really good at. And not saying I, I mastered it, but I had natural gifts in this one area, right? So I had natural gifts to teach and to train. And even personally, I... Um, for a number of years, I taught, you know, Sunday school or led Bible study. So these are things that I was and, and I loved doing that type of ministry. So 
I knew that this was a gift that was was given to me. And it almost took people to say, you know, Jermaine, not everybody can do what you did and make it look so easy, right? So sometimes you don't realize, you take for granted these things that come natural to you. And it takes other people to look at it and say, you know what, I can't do that. I couldn't just facilitate an hour conversation. Like, Jonah, what you're doing, like, it probably comes very easy and natural to you to lead a discussion, to ask these questions. But there are some people looking at you saying, I don't know how he can do what he does. How does he think of these questions or how does his mind take them? Right. And there was somebody or at least you, it clicked for you or somebody told you, hey, you're very good at this. Right. This is this is your jam. And I needed people in my life to say, no, Jermaine, this comes easy because it's natural and it's a gift for you, not because everyone can do it. And then once I started to embrace that, then things started to fall into place. So my regret is I wish I learned that early on, right? My regret is I wish I paid more attention to the things I'm naturally good at and allow that to guide me, not anything else, not a position, not a role, not a career, not a, you, you know what I mean? Not money, not any of these things. If I, if I could just sit back and say, and it sounds cliche, but if what would I do for free? What would I do that I would love to do it in my free time? Is there a way I can get paid for that, right? I'm not saying that everything in what I do is I'm um, 100% great at. The administrative part of my job, I hate. My wife helps me tremendously because I'm not good at it. But man, you get me in front of my computer developing session, developing diversity inclusion session. You get me in a setting where I am offering this training Man, the time flies, the world seems to stop, and next thing you know, I'm done. And that's how I knew that this was the right thing for me. And we all have that. Um, whatever that thing is, we all have it. And the earlier you can figure it out, the better. Again, I'm late, but I'm so thankful that I figured it out much later than, than never, I should say. You've had a long, successful career. Was there ever a time the lack of a college degree held you back from a position? Like there was a role and they're like, hey, Jermaine, you don't, we require that you must have a college degree. Unfortunately, we can't hire you. Has that ever happened to you? It has. Uh, there, there's no question it has. There's, and there are times I'm sure it has held me back and I just don't realize it held me back. That's why I didn't get that call back. But, and I can understand it, but there's a very recent example of, I do a lot of mentioned diversity and inclusion work. So whether it's unconscious bias training or building a diverse inclusive culture or anti-racism training or having courageous conversation and, and you know and you know when it comes to race and diversity and inclusivity so there's a lot of interest so you would get universities who say hey we have we would like to see if you're interested in being a, a faculty member of, of our university because not only do i have this this business but i'm the diversity director for new hampshire's um sherm state council diversity uh, on the board of directors for the diversity workforce coalition. So I have some credentials and then people see my work at UNH, University of Hampshire and said, great, I would love to have him. We want to offer a class in diversity and inclusion uh, to our students. But as soon as I talk to them, my lack of degree is really a non-starter. So as soon as we get to that, that point and, you know, they would prefer a master's, they would take a bachelor's. I have none of that, so that is shut off for me. And I would imagine in academia, in that world, there's a different weight associated, right, with with your degree. So it kind of makes sense. But yes, that door is, is probably closed to me. And by the way, that would be an awesome job. I would love to to be a professor and teach and have summers off and, and do that. But uh, for me, that that's probably an area where... My chances are slim to, to take that type of role, but that's fine. When I see that, I'm, I'm a man of faith. So when I see that, I, in my mind, I'm saying I'm just not meant to be there and I'm meant to be where I am. And to be honest, I can add way more value doing what I do than sitting in a classroom uh, all day. But that's how I justify it. And, and that, that may not be what, how you think about it or how people think about it, but Think about it, but that's how I think about and rationalize it in my head. So, yeah, there's doors that are shut for sure, but there's enough doors open that I don't pay attention to them. Have you ever felt insecure about not having a degree or you're like, look, I know my stuff. I've done it. I have the experience. Yeah. I, I, even today I was on a, a, a webinar 
and they were introducing a couple of the folks that were leading this discussion. It was a um, measuring diversity inclusion initiatives. It actually was funny to me because they spent like 15 minutes just introducing these two speakers. And even when they introduced them, they put their names up on the screen. It was like their name, PhD. Now they do the same work that I do. I don't want to say we're in competition, but we, we kind of compete for the same business. So I know that if somebody's looking at me at the Marshall Group and they're looking at this person, they're going to see PhD next to her name and they're going to see just all around great guy, right? For my name, right? I got none, none of those credentials, right? Uh, when it comes to education. Um, and, and for some, that may pull them over the top. But what I got, what I know I, I need to do is if I can have a conversation, because you're right, I think it's about relationship. And you can have a PhD, but if I'm not connecting with you, then I'm not going to work with you. And I know for me, my strength is you just we just need to talk. And the more time we spend together, you'll start to build confidence that this is a person. And I also have experience, but you're going to see this is a person. Hopefully my prayer, right, is this is a person that I want to work with. But, yeah, when it comes to getting foot in the door or having that uh, instant credibility, yeah, there's some insecurity there, but less so now than it was early on in my career, because I do have, you know, 20 years experience doing this thing. And, and I have seen some stuff, right? And I have worked with some pretty awesome clients and done some awesome work that I can just pull out and grab references and, and these things like that, that really will, will, would do what a degree maybe would do for some other folks. What's in the future for you? What's the next milestone? You've obviously accomplished a lot, but what's, you know, you're always learning, you're always growing. What's sort of the next direction that you want to go? Yeah. One day I would love to retire. <laughs> I would love to grow this business enough and, and be able to retire. My wife and I have this dream of, of retiring in Puerto Rico and, uh, and work from Puerto Rico and still do virtual training, but to settle down uh, there. But uh, right now the goal is to, continue to figure out how I can be impactful to the businesses that I work with. I take great joy out of providing solutions and helping an organization and get from point A to point B. So whether that's in their diversity, equity, inclusion training, all right, you're here, let's get you here. Whether it is supporting executives within the organization, all right, you're here, let's get you here, or teams here to here. My value proposition has always been how do I partner with organizations to help them reach their goal? That's my goal. And I take great joy and satisfaction in doing that. So if I can have greater impact, if I can work with more clients, right, where I can have the opportunity to do that, I would love to do that as my company continues to grow. If I can go to sleep at night thinking I've had some impact today, that feels really, really good for me. The one thing about for me also, the one reason why I also love this work that I'm doing that it gives me some flexibility. So I don't have to retire. I can do this type of work for a while. I can get to the point where I pick and choose, you know, what clients I want to work with, what type of work I want to do. Right. And then I, and I can make this a 20 hour week. I can make this a 60 hour week. I can make this a 10 hour week, depending on the type of work that I want to or companies I want to engage with. But that is it is keep learning. Keep expanding um, offerings as they come up, right, to meet the very real challenges of an organization and then just enjoy, enjoy what I do. That's in the future for me. How would someone get in contact with you? Would LinkedIn be the best way if someone wanted to just ask you get in contact with you? Yes. And I would encourage if you're interested in learning more about you know, either my career path or how to break into this type of uh, work, please don't hesitate to to reach out to me. LinkedIn is fantastic. I, I um, My LinkedIn is very, very active. I'm on there every day um, working LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is fantastic. Um, I have a personal page, Jermaine Moore, and also have the Marcel Group company page. Emailing me at Jermaine at the Group.com. Please don't hesitate to, to reach out to me directly there or, or drop by the website. There's some the Group.com. There's um, a link where you can contact me, but I'd be more than happy to come alongside Anyone that I could, like I mentioned earlier, it took people pouring into my life to get to where I am today. It wasn't a solo effort. Um, it took people who saw something in me and poured some of themselves into me to help me, you know, accomplish. And and, and I don't want to paint this picture like I, I, I like you know I made it somewhere, but to give me something that I that I can be very proud of. It took some people to 
to really help me. So I'm willing to give back and, and be that for some other folks as well. Thank you, Jermaine, so much for your time. This was very informative. I know the listeners will get a lot of value. Look forward to keeping the relationship intact. And I know you're going to do amazing things. Joanna, thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure being here. I wish you success, brother. You too. Bye-bye. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. No degree.com. Yeah. So you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem? We can solve we them. Got this. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. Growing and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.